Good morning, Fullerton. Here are your headlines for the week of March 14, 2022. Headlines. City Council selects District Map 114. At a special meeting Tuesday night, March 8, the Fulton City Council held the third of four public hearings to receive public input and select a map for City Council elections for the next 10 years. They selected Map 114 on a 3-2 vote, Junk, Whitaker, and Dunlap voting for 114, despite most public input advocating for Map 110. Ostensibly, the Council may reconsider their current selection, Map 114, and select a different final map at the fourth and final public hearing on March 29th. The calendar has a placeholder for a second reading of the ordinance establishing new voting districts on April 6, if needed. Maps may still be submitted through March 21 for consideration by Council at the March 29th meeting, 6.30 in the City Council Chamber. Fulton residents stand with Ukraine. A group of local residents organized a rally to show support and solidarity with Ukraine at the intersection of Harbor and Chapin in downtown Fullerton on Sunday, March 6th. Residents of all ages brought homemade posters, flags, and the national symbol of Ukraine, sunflowers, to show their support as Ukraine fights back against the recent Russian invasion. When asked which charities people can give to, they suggested Doctors Without Borders and Amnesty International. They also mentioned the trend of Americans paying for Airbnbs in Ukraine to house refugees. Other organizations you can donate to to help those impacted by the war in Ukraine include the United Nations Crisis Relief, the Red Cross, and UNICEF. West Nile virus positive mosquitoes confirmed in Fullerton. The Orange County Mosquito and Vector Control District, OCMVCD, has confirmed that mosquitoes collected in the city of Fullerton have tested positive for the West Nile virus. This is the first mosquito sample to test positive in Orange County this year. The positive mosquitoes were collected at the cross streets of Pine Drive and Valencia Drive. OCMVCD Public Information Officer Heather Highland said, Residents need to do their part by eliminating standing water on their properties. The best ways to protect yourself are in are using EPA-registered repellent to prevent bites and reducing stagnant water sources to re reduce mosquito breeding. For more information on how you can help reduce the risk of WNV in your community, visit www.ocvector.org. Artwalk lives on at Fulton Museum Center. After a difficult couple of years during the COVID-19 pandemic, the Fullerton Museum Center, FMC, is helping keep the arts alive in Fullerton through its art exhibits and monthly Art Walk events, which feature live poetry and music. Art Walk at FMC takes place on the first Friday of every month. The galleries are open from 6 to 10 p.m. with free admission. In addition to these exhibits, visitors can also listen to and participate in Light the Mic, live music, and poetry performances from 7 to 9.30 p.m. in the museum's historic auditorium. On Friday evening, March 4th, visitors were invited to enjoy the museum's current exhibit, Jose Guadalupe Posada, the iconic printmaker and his legacy in popular culture, as well as live poetry performances by Felicia Taylor E. and Juanita Zavalita to kick off Women's History Month. Hello, this is Adrian Meza, the Observing Fullerton podcast editor. Next segment, we have Jody Balma from the Slice of Orange podcast. She's also a professor at Fullerton College, and she's going to be talking about redistricting in California. We also have Jane Rands, who is a reporter for the Fullerton Observer, talk about the city council redistricting. This was a Facebook live stream, so if you'd like to watch the full segment or join and ask questions, be sure to follow the Fullerton Observer Facebook for more updates. <clears throat> All right. Uh, hello. Welcome, everyone. So my name is uh, Jesse Latour. I'm the editor of the Fullerton Observer newspaper, and uh, I'm joined tonight by some uh, very informed guests to talk about uh, redistricting, kind of the 
sometimes big and scary or complicated topic, uh, try to maybe help us understand some of the impacts of the new district maps and uh, for state assembly, um, state senate, Congress, other races, also city council. So uh, I'm joined uh, first by uh, Professor Jody Balma. So she's the pr professor of political science at Fullerton College, also the co-chair of the political science department and the honors program, I believe, also at Florida College. Absolutely. Welcome. Thank you. And then also I'm joined by uh, Jane Rand. So Jane is a uh, longtime writer and contributor to the Fullerton Observer. She's been covering, <clears throat> excuse me, the city redistricting process. So kind of the, the process of drawing uh, maps and lines for um, city council districts. So Jody's going to talk first uh, and then Jane's going to talk about the city. And we're also joined by Adrian Mesa. He is uh, the editor of the newly formed podcast called Observing Fullerton that you can find on SoundCloud, Spotify, and I think iTunes now. And also I, I need to give a plug because this is sort of a collaboration with uh, Jody's um, podcast that you should also check out called A Slice of Orange, which in which she talks about uh, a lot of kind of Orange County politics and um, topics of note related to that and that's probably on on the podcast oh and there's a cat and uh on, <laughs> on the podcast uh channels too right jody like spotify yeah absolutely you can find it on all places where podcasts are found Perhaps. and if you're following us live on facebook the live stream you can put comments and questions in the chat and adrian will monitor it for us and we'll try to get you answers we're going to go from from the big picture 50 uh, miles above the, the, the city, all the way down to the micro of what the city council is going to do. So hopefully you'll know everything there is to know about maps by the end of this. So I'm going to uh, start sharing what's happening. So Orange County is redrawing maps because it's the year to do so, according to the Constitution. Uh, we take a census every 10 years. And so this large map shows the entire United States. Um, those dark green states are those that have grown in population from about 15 to 18% increase. The states like uh, the, the middle green are a little less and California is in the slower growth, but still growing. The yellow states are, are losing population. But because the House of Representatives is a zero-sum game, there are 435 seats, you have to take away from states that are growing slower. So California, for the first time in our state history, since we became a state in 1850, we've always been growing in population. This is the first time we're actually losing a seat in Congress, going from 53 seats to 52, and that'll affect the Electoral College as well. So the reapportionment, um, if you are uh, looking ahead to the 2024 election, uh, there are some states that are gaining uh, 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 electoral college seats, Oregon, Montana, Colorado, North Carolina, Florida, and Texas gets two. Um, the states in purple are losing one seat all across the board from New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, Michigan, Illinois, and California. So we're down to 52 seats. If you notice the numbers uh, for the rest of the nation are significantly lower than 52. So no one in the rest of the country feels bad for us, um, but, but we feel that loss. Um, Texas is slowly inching up, but they're still at 38, but they're the next largest state. So California will have 54. 
electoral college votes. We tally that by the number in the House of Representatives, 52, plus the number in the United States Senate, 54. So that's how many delegates we'll have to the electoral college um, until the 2030 census starts this process all over. So that means that we have to redraw those districts. Those 52 districts in Congress have to be redrawn. Prior to 2010, the legislature itself did that. Um, we decided after what political scientists called the uh, incumbent protection plan, where safe seats were made safer, uh, we passed the voters passed Proposition 11, which uh, allowed the redistricting commission, sort of a citizen's redrawing map. And so 2010, that happened. And again, this time, this is our second time. We're not the only state with independent commissions. Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Michigan, Montana, and Washington all use independent commissions. Um, the way we do it is our commission up here does Congress, state Senate, state assembly, and the Board of Equalization the counties do their own, the cities do their own, and Jane Rands is going to talk about how Fullerton has done their redistricting maps. The school districts do their own. And if you are not in Fullerton, um, check out your local uh, city councils and school boards to see if this process is still going on. Many still are, and you can get involved. Um, water districts, community college districts, if there's a variance in the census, of more than 10% in those districts, they have to be redrawn. So not every agency will redraw them. The commissioner's duties at the state level, these 14 commissioners, um, do community outreach reach, and wow, did they. Um, they were trying to get everybody in the state involved all last year and did public meetings for hours and hours and hours. Um, they had really, really street level knowledge of these districts. They did an incredible job of community outreach. Even if you don't agree with how the maps turned out, those commissioners really did um, community outreach and just tried to fit together this jigsaw puzzle of, of dividing up the state. They drafted maps, um, 52 for Congress, 40 for the California Senate, 80 for the Assembly, and four for the Board of Equalization here's what they were working with. They had to be equal population. We have to have basically the same number of people. So all those scary, scary, scary gerrymandering stories you hear from other states where the legislature is in charge. We have some rules that our commissioners had to follow. Number one, equal population. Number two, they had to comply with the Voting Rights Act. Uh, and so you want to make sure that that the communities where, um, where people of color, where minorities, where underrepresented uh, populations are, are, are together, you want to make sure that they have the chance to elect a representative rather than slicing and dicing. And so you'll see that in Orange County, where the commissioners spent quite a bit of time trying to make sure that Anaheim and Santa Ana could stay together for a strong Latino vote. Um, contiguity. The idea that you, you have to keep the, the, the land mass together that connects. So you can't have a little piece of Orange County all the way tied up to Bakersfield. Um, that's pretty easy. Communities of interest. This is where the public got involved a lot with the concept of communities of interest. You know, I was arguing and, and submitted a public comment that Fullerton Joint Union High School is a community of interest, that they have six schools and Fullerton, La Habra and Buena Park should be kept together because of that community of interest, that students could be from any of those areas. Others 
argued that Little Saigon that crosses uh, you know, city boundaries should be a, a community of interest. Lots and lots and lots of people argued for that. And they did a good job of listening, even if it didn't pan out in, in the map because of all these other factors. Geographically compact, you don't want, um, we had, uh, when the legislature was drawing things, we had a congressional map that went uh, from Oxnard, California, all the way up to Monterey, just this little tiny slit of coastal area. You really do want it to be compact so that you don't have you know, 200 miles in a district. And then nesting districts, which we've seen in the past where two assembly districts uh, were combined to match a Senate district. We didn't get that. They were paying a lot of attention to the other five. And so that nesting ends up being um, minimally um, seen. And you'll see that on the maps where the, the Senate districts are drawn differently. So we've got this huge area, Orange County, I will remind you, is 3.2 million people, which would be a state. We often forget that because we're overshadowed by Los Angeles County that's over 10 million, Los Angeles City that's larger than our entire county with more than 4 million people. But we are an incredibly populous area. Um, and, and, you know, if you're looking at states to compare us to Utah, is the same size by population. Iowa is the same size by population. Um, and so we do have a lot of different interests to consider. I just want to kind of, um, in the interest of time, kind of we'll move, move yeah. on to Jane in just a moment. But Jody, do it. thank you so much for that. That was really, really informative. And again, I want to encourage people to um, to follow her podcast called A Slice of Orange. And she uh, talks about Orange County politics, and it's uh, yeah. like, and know. and we'll have lots of these candidates on um, during during elections. I, I go very candidate heavy, um, cool. so we'll talk to a lot of them. But yeah, let's let's talk for it to Jane about City of Fullerton. So um, this is starting with um, the first um, City Council District map in um, in Fullerton. The when that was voted in by the voters in 2016, it was put on the ballot by the city council as part of a settlement agreement. There were two plaintiffs, uh, the ACLU and um, uh, Kevin Shankman was representing, um, and then Kitty was um, representing Hispanic populations that um, typically didn't have any representation on the city council, despite having being a large portion of our population. So that's how we got to have um, district elections. So that process was fraught with a lot of um, really people disgruntled in that process. But a lot of that pro that process was set in place by what was in the settlement agreement. And the settlement agreement was, I would say, from my perspective, a little bit weak. And this may have been based on um, the, the lack of requirements in the California Bonnie Rights Act. But whereas the um, state um, uh, independent commission had a set of rules to follow that um, Jody uh, talked about before. Those weren't in place. They weren't required. But the exciting thing about the new districts now is that they are requirements and they're prioritized. So the nice thing, I guess, about Fullerton is um, maybe I'm getting a little off. Let me go back to this map. The interesting thing about our current map and any of the other maps that are being proposed right now is sort of naturally um, we're seeing, and these are currently our districts um, 
uh, four and five, we see um, at least a plurality of Latino um, voters. So that that remedy is pretty simple to achieve um, in the city of Fuller, Fullerton um, as well. Um, there's such a concentration of um, uh, Asian population within the Northeast portion of the city that uh, again, you don't have to do anything funny to make just big districts that provide that opportunity. Um, so the other thing that was new and interesting is having a commission so um, the new state laws also allow the city council, sort of like the idea of having um, the independent, um, the, the state independent uh, uh, redistricting commission. There's an opportunity for the city council to, to abdicate or hand over um, some level of um, independence to a, a redistricting commission. Um, there were four opportunities, or excuse me, three different versions that could be implemented of um, an advisory commission, um, independent commission, and a hybrid commission. So an independent commission would have allowed, uh, would have given no uh, say for the city council, the current city council, to determine who uh, the new district boundaries. Hybrid um, was sort of a balance, but the advisory only commission gives the city council full power to make that decision. So that's what our city council chose. And um, <clears throat> so the advisory commission was appointed in October and um, really only, excuse me, they're appointed in September. They, and they really only met three times in October, December, and then in February. The first meeting was the five directly appointed commission members appointed two additional at-large members, which simply amplified sort of the, what the, there was a cohesive three that appointed two more that sort of just amplified um, their voice as we see later on. Um, uh, when they had their meeting in December as a body, um, they had the opportunity to determine whether or not they were going to participate or run the workshops. They chose to stand back and not be a part of those. So their third meeting was, uh, which was the second public hearing in the process. I haven't introduced that idea of the required for public hearings in this process, but um, where they selected a map was then their next meeting. And in the interim, there were three workshops. Um, that unfortunately, because of a third wave of COVID, these are supposed to be sort of hyper-localized, concentrating workshops where people could walk in, meet their neighbors, talk, hash things out, and instead ended up um, on Zoom. Um, uh, the information for the first workshop wasn't available till two days before the first Zoom. And information was difficult to find and, and, and there was very low turnout. Now, we can only make assumptions as to why people didn't turn out, um, but there was sort of the same core group of 15, 20 people that participated in the majority of the workshops and the um, two public hearings that have followed since. So we're not seeing a lot of public input. Uh, interesting comment from uh, uh, 
the uh, organization, Tri-Pippi Smith, who is responsible for doing the public outreach, um, when our current council member, Ahmad Zara, questioned about, like, was that good turnout, having 15 to 20 people participating? And she said, that was good turnout. Um, but then comparing that to Anaheim, which was another city where there was the same group doing the, the, the outreach. So was it the outreach or was it a disinterest? It's um, hard to get but, people to care about drawing maps. Yeah, yeah that, that is true. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. It is. They don't, they don't understand the connection of, of actual governments tied. So yeah. 15 to 20 sounds like a really good turnout. <laughs> That's terrible. But okay, I'm going to take your word for it because you would know. <laughs> um, so what we ended up with, interestingly, with the process, part of the rule was um, we weren't supposed to have any draft maps presented until there was the first public hearing. Well, there was a first public hearing in December. Um, and there was actually, of the speakers who spoke, um, people didn't talk about communities of interest. They were talking about the process. So in that process, let me stick with this guy up here. So what we ended up with was, I'm going to talk about sort of the one, let me lay this on if you want to look at the current districts. But so there was a huge, there was a, a large group or, of people that, that participated in all the workshops and the public hearings and also um, coalesced into a, 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 co a coalition that um, presented this map, public map 110. And their idea was to keep um, Fullerton College and Cal State Fullerton students together. So they kind of drew this alignment and presumably you would think with the support coming out of the community that there would be some interest um, come from the redistricting advisory commission on this map. Now, what, so what was uh, supported by that redistricting commission was this version of that map um, created by the demographer. So the demographer took that these there were the maps that were submitted from the public and created kind of combined them based on their similarities and 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 created these maps 112, 113, and 114. So that advisory commission out of this map 110 and then a similar map 109 um, by Patricia Hanzo, um, the the Redistricting Advisory Commission selected this, uh, the demographer's version here, um, which uh, th there has been some support for this 112, but then again, we all know the consequence or what actually was decided that um, the re uh, city council, after getting the recommendations, um, went to map 114. This one was. Um, based on a submission, uh, these submissions here, uh, that was Seminara and, oh no, that one's, that I have to talk about. Um, this guy here, yeah, so this alignment. Anyways, the interesting thing is looking at the different alignments between those sort of two competing visions and the crux of them is um, sort of this alignment of District 3. So this demographer's map 112 that was recommended based on the large coalitions group has this 
um, horizontal D3. And if we look at what was selected by Redistrict Advisory Commission, it's, it's these very, uh, you've got this north-south alignment. Um, council most recently sort of justified it saying, that, you know, that the interest is this, this 57 corridor. So um, this is the one that's currently in play. Um, but then there's, I hope it's okay for me to talk about the controversy since I am right. <laughs> the, um, just not looking at the, the strictly academically. Um, currently, some of the accusations from the two different sides are the people supporting 114 say the horizontal alignment is intended to keep an incumbent in his seat. And from the other side, there's an argument saying that this 114 is meant to create a gap in, in service um, for one of those incumbents. So specifically speaking, um, um, the, the current District 2 here, um, Dunlap is in there. He was just elected. Districts 2, 1, and 4 just um, had their first round of district elections in 2020. And so we, there's Dunlap, Strong, and then Whitaker elected here. And then districts three, sorry, I should stick with, we're looking at these old lines here. Districts three and districts five, this is where Jesus got elected and this is where Ahmad got elected. So, so can you switch um, back to the current map? Yeah, sorry about that. So we that. can see that? I know, yeah. it gets really confusing with all the maps. So the yeah. current maps are Jesus Silva's in the green, where your arrow is. And Ahmad Zara is in district number five in the orange, and they are not on the ballot. They were elected um, four years ago, so they'll be on the ballot. Those districts will be up in 2024. Oh, these, these, no, no. these, these two. two. These two will be 2022. Be the, right. Yeah, this, this yeah. Is three so in this district three Yes. This is, this I'm is switching it up. So the two yeah. that were elected in 2020... One, four, oh, and so the two, that's three. So there's three elected in 2020 here. Okay. So Bruce Whitaker and down in so, the purple, and Fred Jung so, in the pink, and Nick Dunlap mm -hmm. in the blue. Right. So, okay. So I have to orient myself. Um, yeah. So the yeah. issue is with this District 3, if there is this change right. um, from this alignment. So you can still see the the outline right. of the yeah oops, up here um, is what occurs here is that council member who is currently down here in this section would get moved to district two. And when that district three election occurs in 2022 this year, right. He would not be able to run. So then, um, Jesus Silva would not be able to run until 2024. Right. So it would be, it would be, but district two, three two. would be on the ballot in 2022. Right. A new member would get elected, a new council member who lives in that district. And uh -huh. so then Jesus Silva would be now in a district 
where the incumbent Nick Dunlap doesn't run for re-election until 2024. Right, right. Okay. So, 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 there's a concern that this is an intentional move. There's accusations on both sides about what's going on um, to force an incumbent out, which is not allowed by that's sort of the, um, there's another rule in play after you get through the criteria. Um, The council cannot adopt districts based on the the incumbents um, as well as party affiliation. Um, so this is one of the dilemmas where Fullerton is a small enough town that everybody knows where people live. And so where mm-hmm. the 14 commissioners doing statewide don't necessarily know where Jay Chen yeah. or Michelle Steele live. And so they're not going to look into it. Um, it's really evident where our Fullerton city council incumbents live. And of course it's public information on you know, the registrar of voters. So it's not terribly hard to, to find out. And so there is that allegation in the city councils and the school boards that these sort of shenanigans are given cover. Um, and so I have been wondering, and I don't know if you have um, any thoughts, but, you know, Fullerton College is a commuter school. I work there. Um, we don't have a, a lot of people living there. So the the kind of false debate of putting Fullerton College and Cal State Fullerton together in a district um, that I'm not sure why that was even kind of discussed. But if you know that Jesus Silva lives very close to Fullerton College, it then becomes an interesting little jog there, um, almost carving out his house to be in a different district. And you, you just start to to, to get a little suspicious about why these districts another, are being drawn the way they're being drawn. Another point okay. of uh, mm-hmm. another point that I'd like to point out uh, is that Greg Seaborn, the uh, committee chair, uh, he uh, ran against Jesus Silva in 2018, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and oh, that, was, an, that was like another the- incumbent versus incumbent in a year that Jesus Silva didn't had had been elected before the districts had happened and had an at-large seat and then was forced to run two years later for the district seat. Um, and, and I think that that, um, you know, is very much happening again. And it, it's, I, I can't imagine where you don't take it personally. Exactly. Uh, another right. thing so, that I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Oh, go ahead. Uh, is that uh, one of our, um, viewers just mentioned that it was to keep the neighborhoods uh, connected, not the, uh, not the students. As an observer, you know, I don't want to you know, comment on it too much, but it, it does seem like, like nobody's up there on the, on the redistricting advisory commission or the city council saying, they're not going to say, I choose this map because I want my guy to get elected or not, or right. I want to prevent someone from, we're going to say, this is about communities of interest and contiguous. We're going to use all the right language. Correct. But I, but I think that the reality is, I mean, given the fact that the people who are on the redistrict advisory commission, two of them are, you know, former elected officials, Sean Nelson and Greg Seaborn. You also got, you know, Tony Bushala, who's a very big political donor, you know, to um, to candidates. And then you also have Katie Jaramillo on the other side, who was one of the plaintiffs in the original lawsuit. Um, I feel like the other person, Jody Vallejo on there, uh, 
I don't know. She's like, she has actually like a background in demography and, and, you know, she teaches at USC, but I, you're right. It's a small town. So it's like, it's hard not to take the slightly cynical view that there's things going on beyond what people are saying their real intentions are. That's, that's yeah. My sort of- yeah, no, I, I think it's a good observation and, and, and obviously both can be true. Like yeah. you can, you can have a, a nefarious, goal that you reach using all of the very, very valid uh, <laughs> criteria. Right. Oh, and I wanted to add too, and Jane, you, you included this in your reporting that, again, it sounds like I'm advocating for map 110 or 112, but I'm just I'm an observer <laughs> of this process. Like, uh, it wasn't just the, um, the, the bringing, you know, combining the colleges, like the ACLU came out in support of map 110, and they submitted like, I don't know, there was a signatures of 100 and something people in support of it, and there was also a like a fairly lengthy um, rationale that they submitted to the council. I don't know, like a 20 page rationale for why they were supporting this map. Um, so I, I, I didn't see any kind of thing like that for 114, except people saying, you know, kind of anecdotally, it's better. <laughs> right. It's better because yeah, it's better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they, they probably, that's not fair. They had, they had some reasons, but I'm just saying like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I want to chime in here. We're, we're coming up on about two, almost two hours. So this is kind of yeah. longer, a little longer than we had anticipated, but it's been amazing. Jane, I want to thank you so much. And I want to encourage um, anyone who wants to read more about this. Jane has been a uh, chronicler of this whole process over the last, you know, six, eight months or year, whatever, a cover, you know, tuning into the redistricting meetings. And um, so go to, you know, fullertonobserver.com. Um, yeah. She's got a bunch of articles on there. Uh, but I do want to give time uh, for Adrian. And uh, so Adrian, do you have any questions or is anybody on, on the yes. Facebook have questions? I have some written down, but let's just give it a few minutes. And my question goes to Jane uh, about the uh, redistricting process. You mentioned that there's multiple ways to do the redistricting process, if I'm correct. Oh, so, so that the idea of an advisory com- commission. Yes. So we ended up. Oh, we ended up with an advisory commission. We could have had an independent commission, where the city council would have no say in the map. Basically, have a non-biased uh, point of view all across the board. But there would there... depending on who gets appointed, right? How do you yeah. appoint them? Um, and then there's a hybrid approach too, where um, the advisory commission would select from a couple of maps that then go to the council and then the council can only select from those. So ours was wide open. Um, the council didn't have to select from the three that were recommended from our advisory commission, but they are using that as um, a measure. For instance, um, Jesus Silva um, gave support for um, map 112 um, because it was recommended uh, by the advisory commission as much as you know, 114 was in fact there was a higher uh, support from the com- the commission for 112 over 114. And he said, out of respect for that 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 commission um, decision, I would like to recommend 112 as opposed to pulling you know 110 forward. It was it was a good balance. So, was there any special reason why we went with an advisory committee rather than an independent? Was it a monetary uh, aspect or no? It was, I believe that Jesse would probably be better on this because he covered their decision. It was, it was a decision made at city council 
that their idea was the, the voters elected us and we should not abdicate our duties to some independent commission. Yeah, I don't I don't actually remember um, all the arguments there when they, you know, when they did that. I, I, I want to, I could be wrong. I, I feel like it wasn't unanimous. Like, I think there might have been some people on council who were for an independent commission and there were certainly public, I remember there were a fair amount of public commenters who showed up to that when the council meeting when they voted to establish the advisory commission saying, have an independent commission. Like there were people who were saying this will be a better kind of thing. Um, they didn't go with that. Um, but I don't remember the exact breakdown. And, and as Jane says, independent is only independent depending on who appoints those yeah. people. Yes. So yeah. I, I think there were some people who were at least thinking, uh, you know, that the, the elected city council members would at least have to be accountable to the maps that they chose because they were the ones that approved them ultimately. So yeah. elections right. have consequences. So <laughs> indeed. Well, much, yeah. Yeah. I think we're right at about the, the two hour. Thank you, Adrian. We're at the two hour and seven minute mark. So we plan to do exactly two hours and seven minutes. So uh, <laughs> uh, as all good forums are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I want to again, thank uh, Jody Balma again, uh, professor of political science from Florida college. Thank you for your great uh, insight and knowledge. Please, again, check out her podcast, uh, Slice of Orange. Uh, thank you to Jane Rands, again, for uh, her coverage of the local redistricting and for your presentation. Um, and again, there, there's a tab. If you go to thecityofpolerton.com, there's a tab that's just like redistricting, right? Like, is that one of the tabs available? They have a, or, oh, no, you're, you're saying no, Jane. Huh? Oh, remember that little circle that's on the front yeah. the city's main yeah. page? Yeah. Look for the little redistricting, the blue circle on the right. The blue circle. Midway down. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. So check that out. They have more, you know, information and stuff. You can learn about it. Uh, and also some good tools from the demographer that the city contracted with, um, you know, to kind of just kind of learn about. You, you know, you learn more than just about, like, um, you know, maps. We also learn about the, you know, the makeup, the demographic makeup of your city, which is yeah. pretty interesting, too. Thank you also to Adrian, uh, our editor at um, our brand new, well, pretty new now, Observing Fullerton Podcast. Thank you for your monitoring the Facebook. And you look like the most official podcaster among us with your <laughs> yeah. and headphones. So uh, we'll take, we'll try to learn from your example there. Um, but yeah, so I think I'm going to uh, uh, end it. So thank you again, everyone. Uh, check out FullertonObserver.com uh, for our local coverage. Alrighty, that is the end of today's podcast. Fullertonians, thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Fulton Observer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to keep up with the latest Fullerton news. Full-length stories of all our headlines are available on the Fulton Observer website, or you can subscribe to the print edition that gets mailed to your home every two weeks. You can also donate to support local journalism on our website. The journalists behind our headline stories are Janine Jacobs, Jane Rance, and Jesse Latour. Adrian Mesa is our editor, and I'm Arush Navid, your host.